0: Whether you know it or not, you're here because you believe the Father is the place to run to. Come on. you believe that, let me hear you. I mean, granted, some of you you could have a drug problem and your butt was drugged here by somebody. Or (laughs) you're like the rest of us and you have learned. The fact that we're doing this series and you've been so engaged and after amen is an indication that we have learned the hard way for many of us. That the only place to run is into the everlasting arms of our gracious, heavenly Father. Come on now. Hey, before you're seated, before you're seated, I just wanna do something here, I just feel led to do this. Um, I celebrated last week in a video that we got a new worship pastor and his name, yeah, yeah get to know this guy he'll be out in the rotunda hanging around he's like the rest of. he loves people so get to know him but I'm only mentioning him in this moment to honor someone else and she is to my right and she brings the house down almost every Sunday and some of you some of you know this but most of you probably don't she came on staff I don't know how long ago, and she has a full-time job during the week, but she came on staff in a, in a contract capacity, and she has held the fort down as we have searched across this country for our worship pastor. And I just wanna honor her, and thank her, and celebrate her. Now, <laughs> she ain't going anywhere. She, she still, she's still gonna be on our staff team. And you put a woman with the anointing like she has, with a brother with the anointing that he has, and I'm just gonna go ahead and speak prophetically and let you know that worship is about to go to places that you hope like it has never, ever gone before. Amen, amen. Come on, let's pray, let's pray. Father, we we celebrate you today. We honor you. We worship you, God. We thank you that you are in this house. And we thank you, Father God, that you are doing something supernatural in our worship these days. Father, we honor you. We pray that you bless these two and all the world changers that will serve with them. Father, we pray that you bless those who are behind computers and production booths, everyone who helps us worship you. And may we remember, oh God, that you are the audience. <laughs> you are the one that we worship before in spirit and in truth. So Father, do something supernatural in the days ahead. Bless our worship that it might bless your heart. We love you, we honor you. Now we thank you for your word and we ask that you speak to us. For your servants have gathered, they have sung, and now we ask that you take our minds and you think through them. You take our hearts, you fill with them. And Father, I pray as I always do that you take my lips and speak through them. Because if you do not speak today, then absolutely nothing of any significance will have been spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of those who love the Lord, say, Amen. amen. Yeah, praise his name. That's trouble, that's trouble waiting to happen right there. I told the backstage team I'd like to have coffee today instead of water. And then when we realized, I guess we realized we're bringing out this table and there's no place for the coffee. But that ain't going to stay there because I will kick that thing sure enough at some point in time today. Y'all doing good? I don't know if this can sit up here. I'm just telling you, I see trouble happening. And I pray that's not prophetic. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand this down to you, brother. If you want some coffee, help yourself. If not, I'll pick it up at, after the service. I'll do without coffee. All right, well, we are, oh, man, we, it's been a good series, has it not? It's been a good series. Praise God. Um, we're, we're wrapping up today this, this series that you know is titled, After Amen. And I just wanna thank, once again, Pastor Rusty George, my good friend out in California. Pray for me, I'll be out preaching for him in a couple of weeks. Um, He sends his love, he still remembers being with you, but I just wanna thank God for him. I wanna thank God for his word that just continues to speak to us 2,000 years later. And this series, I think, has helped us develop a more robust theology. Uh, I don't know if you've caught most of the installments, I hope you have, but, but often our theology is flimsy, it's shallow, and especially when it comes to prayer. But we, we've learned in this series that God is not my or your little genie in a bottle. He does not do whatever I always want him to do. I kind of wish he did, but he doesn't, right? He does not do what we always want him to do. He does whatever he wants to do because he is God, And sometimes I have to come to terms with the fact that his no is better than my yes. And so we started this series and we talked about just how audacious it was. When you actually just stop and think about it, it is rather audacious and crazy to think that we can bend the ear of Almighty God through prayer. But that is what the scriptures teach and that is what you and I are so grateful for. Can I get an amen? And I don't know if you're like me, but like, I, I, I confess. let me just confess this. I, I, I wasn't sure if I was gonna say this. Like, I don't, I sometimes don't feel like I'm the best prayer in the world. I, 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 I fumble, you ever fumble when you pray? You ever get, you ever get nervous when, when people ask you to pray? And, and you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be like a professional prayer. You ever felt like that, right? <laughs> You ever feel like we all, we all kind of have those moments where it's just awkward to pray, and we don't really know how to pray, and that's why this series, I think, has been real helpful for us, because it's not just about how we pray, but it's about what do you do after you pray, and we covered six things so far. This is the seventh installment, six uh, key action points that I want us to kind of think about as we wrap up the series, just by way of review. You guys remember the first one? Here's the first one. Work while we wait. Say that with me. Work while we wait. I found it very fascinating that when I preached that sermon on week number one, there was another church in our country doing a series, not this series, but the whole point of the pastor's message was that God works while we wait. But that is true, is it not? But what we sometimes do is we do nothing. And so I found it interesting that that his message and my message was very different. Yes, God works while we wait, but we can't just sit around and rest on our laurels. We have to work while we wait. Here's the second one we talked about, align with the why. That week we talked about the fact that my prayers are most effective. I have found that God hears my prayers most when my life is aligned with his why. And his why is always to advance the kingdom of God. So if you're wondering why your prayers are losing energy, you might want to ask yourself, are my prayers aligned up with God's kingdom? And is my life aligned up with God's kingdom? Here's number three. Do the next right thing. There are so many times in my life where I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what next month looks like. Sometimes I feel like I don't even know what tomorrow looks like. And in those times, I've learned the best thing I can do is just take the next right step. And God honors that step of faith. Number four, number four, waiting on the supernatural. That's the, that's the message that Pastor Rusty taught on John 2, the wedding where Jesus changes the water to wine. We wait on God to do the supernatural. And when I get busy, connecting this to number one, by the way, when I get busy and I'm working, while I'm waiting, I'm working usually in my natural, but when I'm working for God, God's super comes and meets my natural, and there becomes supernatural living and prayers for Almighty God. Number five, share the last 10%. That was the week when I talked to us about just being brutally honest and sharing the last 10%. Six, run through the checklist. If you missed any of these, and you've got some travel plans this summer, or you've got some trips where you're on the road, and you're gonna be paying five plus dollars a gallon, oh, Lord, help us. Go to YouTube, check out our uh, messages, and, and, and catch up on these if you've missed any of these. Now, let's say that you've done all six of those, and you're still starting to, to conclude that the yes that you're desiring might not come. I mean, you, you've gone through this list. You've worked them and you're, you feel like you're living your life for God and your prayers align to the why. Let's say you've done that and then you actually start to realize that your answer might just not be wait. Your answer might be no. What do you do with that? What do you do... With God's no. I was um I was at Duke University in nineteen ninety-seven. I was finishing up my my second master's there, and they assign you to a field education assignment, and I got assigned to Duke University Hospital as a chaplain. And I was excited at first, and to this day, I must say, it was the best and most developmental part of my theology and calling, even to this day. It was hard, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I'll never forget, it was 1997, and I just started this chaplaincy, and, and, and they gave me a, a they, they called it a room, um, they gave me a room that was about this well, maybe that wide and this long, and it had a cot in it. And the cot was for me to supposedly sleep. And um, I never really got much shut-eye because I would go in, they called it the night shift, they put me on the night shift, man. And I would call it the midnight shift. I would go in about 10 and I would get off at 6 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And I wore, young people, you're not gonna know what this is. I wore, they gave me a pager. Do y'all remember the pagers? Young person, it's this little black box that you wear on your waist and you get pages and then you you respond to them and all that kind of stuff. So I had a pager and um, it was early on in this internship and I was responsible for the entire hospital. So you can imagine from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., I am the pastor on call, the chaplain for Duke Hospital. And I must confess to you that when I came up I-95 from Sumter, South Carolina, and I hit that long swerving turn that, that banks around and gets on I-40 that brings you right in here to the triangle area, I will confess to you that my theology was flimsy. It, it was shallow at best. I will confess to you that I probably started to buy into, and if you buy into some of this, I'm sorry, but this series has probably shattered a little bit of this for you. I bought into some name it and claim it theology. And I I just I was I was fire I was amped up on God, and I believed God could do everything, and God can do everything. But what this series is teaching us is that God does not always do everything that we want Him to do. So I get, this, I get this, the pager goes off. I was about to say, I get this text. The pager goes off, and uh, it's about 4 a.m., and I would always get pages around 4 or 5 a.m., and I would conclude that that was my last page of the day because uh, I got off at 6, and, and I remember going to the emergency room, and I knew right away this was gonna be a hard one, and I did not feel equipped to handle it. I met this beautiful young couple from Fayetteville, North Carolina. And they had their very first child, she was a three-year-old daughter named Takesha. Takesha had gone into cardiac arrest and was in the operating room and I sat with the parents in the waiting room. I remember sitting with them and trying my best to pray with them, trying my best to help them through this time. And I started to realize immediately, this one's really close to home. You see, we had just given birth to our very first child, who was also a girl, Anna Grace. And Anna Grace was was just the apple of my eye, as you know, the cream in my coffee. So I'm doing two things. I'm trying to minister to this family while I'm also thinking about what I would feel like if I were in their shoes. The doctor would come in periodically and he would share updates on what was going on with Takesha in the operating room. On about the second visit into the waiting room as I'm there with the parents, I can tell this is not gonna be good. And so after the doctor left, I I tried to minister to the family, tried to grieve with them, Tried to be empathetic. I think I offered another prayer after the doctor left. But then I had to excuse myself. And I told them I would be right back. And I left the waiting room in the ER area. And I walked outside. Now, if you know Duke Hospital, you know that you can walk out of the front doors of the hospital. And if you look to the right, you're facing east. And there was this absolutely breathtakingly beautiful sunrise coming up over Durham by this point in time. And I remember sitting out there praying my heart out, praying that God would heal Takesha, praying that God would use the doctors and the nurses and that she would make it, praying for her parents. I mean, guys, it was raw, it was authentic, it was passionate, and I prayed maybe like I had never prayed before. And when I was done, said amen, I walked back into the hospital, and instead of going into the waiting room, I went into the operating room. Now, if you heard Abby preach a few months ago, you'll remember that I have, this, I have this ability to slip into rooms that I shouldn't slip into in hospitals. You remember that story? If you know my story from my motorcycle accident not long ago, you know I have this uncanny ability of leaving hospital rooms when I shouldn't. So I busted into the operating room. As a chaplain, they gave me a long white coat and had the pager, so I looked official. So I guess it was okay, but they didn't care about me anyway. I walked into a room where there was an army of doctors and nurses trying their best to save little Takesha. And I'm praying, It it was medical chaos But I'm praying, even as they're doing it, I'm kind of walking around the peripheral edge of the room and I'm just praying for these doctors as they're working on Takesha. Until finally, the chief cardiologist gave the sign that they had done all they could possibly do. And I saw their heads drop in despair and exhaustion. And the beep! That I had been hearing after he did a few things. And I remember just being so sad and so mad for my theology, like a house of cards was crumbling under a foundation that would not stand up to the reality of this particular situation. I went back into the waiting room with the doctor and we sat with the parents and I remember leaving feeling so defeated, so down, so sad again, and yes, I will confess, so angry. What do you do with that? It's a a literal question for you. Because some of you have had experiences like that. What do you do with that? Y'all know the saying, everything happens for a reason? Y'all heard that saying? Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds like it should fit nicely on the back of a Hallmark card. I don't believe it. I don't believe it anymore. I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I do believe in a God who is able to redeem every situation we face. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. In this sin scarred, broken world, there are some things that happen, and you know this, no one's ever put words to it, you know it, there are some things that happen that in our human sense, we can't make any sense of. Everything doesn't happen for a reason. But I know a God who is able to redeem every single situation when we keep our eyes fixed on him and an eternal perspective. So what do you do when we get these kinds of no's? Again, I told you on the front end of this series, this was gonna be one that would shake us up and challenge our theology. What do you do when you get a no? Not a wait. We don't like waits. I can't stand waits. Anybody like the wait? I can't stand waits. I believe hell on earth is the DMV. I, I, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, I, I don't know if you're like me. I'm like, God, give me patience, but please hurry up, right? Nobody likes to wait. But I'm not talking about when you have to wait. I'm talking about when you get a no. What do you do with that? Here's some responses to no's that that maybe you've fallen into. I have I have embodied all of these. I am uh, unfortunate to say. You can throw a fit. You can do what, church? You, you ever throw a fit? Don't think, don't just, don't think because you're an adult, you don't throw fits. Kids throw, throw fits, but guess what? Adults throw their own kinds of fits. Uh, there was a guy walking through the grocery store. Pastor Rusty reminded me of this story. There's a guy walking through the grocery store and he's got, he's got, he's obviously a single dad and he's got his, got his boy in the grocery cart with him and the boy is throwing a fit. You ever, you ever seen this happen in the public where, where do you, anybody else have a tendency, you want to go over there and help them parent? I, I, I typically don't, Michael Jackson, but I sometimes want to. Like, you like you need some help parenting. But so, so he's, he's got his boy in his car, and, and every time he tries to do something to appease the little boy, the boy throws a fit. He's throwing stuff on the ground. He's screaming. He's yelling. He's, burr, you know, hurling back like this. right. And the, and the, the, the dad would say, okay, Patrick, hold on. We're, it's going to be over soon. And he'd go a little bit further. The kid would throw another little boy. Okay, Patrick. Hold on, we're gonna, it's gonna be over soon. And he did that a couple more times, and when he checked out, a customer came over and said, hey, I happened to notice that, that you were just so patient with your son, Patrick. And the dude goes, oh, his name's not Patrick. I'm Patrick, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Patrick. Hold on, I got, I'm gonna get through this, right? You been there? Yeah. <laughs> we, we throw fits, do we not? Kids throw fits, adults throw fits, maybe, maybe you do. Here, here's a second thing you might have a tendency to do. You blame. Come on, you ever you ever blame somebody for your own stuff? You, you ever, you, come on. You, we, we all do this. I mean, we, we 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 sometimes blame ourselves, yes. Maybe I don't have enough faith, maybe I'm not lined with the why, maybe whatever. We we blame ourselves, but oftentimes we blame other people. We blame our loved ones. You know, I'm the only one carrying the spiritual weight in this home. If you would just do something and and get involved, maybe God would answer our prayers more. And we we play the blame game. And here's what's interesting. The blame game goes all the way back to Genesis. God created them in in the garden. It was paradise. God told them, you can have any any tree fruit in the garden, but don't you dare eat this one. You know what they did. They went and ate that fruit salad. Come on. And what did they start doing immediately? Immediately. They start blaming each other. We have this tendency to blame ourselves, other people, but watch this. We also blame God. And again, maybe you've never, maybe you've never had words given to that. But if you're not careful, you can start having a chip on your shoulder towards God. And you can start blaming God because God is not doing what you want him to do? How could you do this, God? And we start to question God. Y'all remember that very first prayer that most of us learned as a kid? I grew up in a pagan family. We didn't even grow to church, but I learned this prayer as a kid. Remember this? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food, right? So we say, God, does your no mean that you are not able to act, and therefore, you're really not that great, God? God. Ooh. Or does your no mean that you're not willing and God, you're really not that good? And we blame God. And here's what you need to know it's, it's not original with you. There's examples of this in the Bible. If you go to the book of Psalms, you see this going down. Look at Psalm 85 5 and 7. We haven't read scripture together, so let's go. Will you be angry with us always? Will you prolong your wrath to all generations? Won't you revive us again so your people can rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Where is God when I wait? And where is God when I get a no? And, and David, writing the Psalms, has, has this over and over in scriptures. You see this connection. It's an interesting connection between the word wait and a word that we love around this place, hope. Hope. Watch this. Psalm 33, 20, and 22. We what? We wait in hope. We do what, church? We wait in hope for the Lord. Let's continue. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 27, 14. You see this over and over in the book of Psalms. What does it say? Wait and, wait and what? Hope for and expect the Lord. Be brave and of good courage, and let your heart be stout and enduring. Yes, wait for and hope for and expect the Lord. Now watch this. Actually, the word wait here means hopeful expectation. The most faithful understanding of waiting on the Lord is not waiting in despair, not waiting in blaming God, not waiting in throwing a fit, but it is waiting in hopeful expectation. It's kind of like when you go to the airport to pick up somebody. I went to the airport last week. Um, I was picking up Wesley from Colorado Springs. And uh, all my kids and I, we were going to the beach for Father's Day weekend last weekend. Had a blast. So I I pulled up to the airport, and uh, the plane had not arrived yet. And if you know anything about airports these days, it goes all the way back to 9 11, right? They don't let your butt park there anymore. You pull up in there, and if the plane has not arrived, what do they do? They tell you to circle around. It's like you're just supposed to sit there and circle and circle and circle unless you find a little place to tuck in and hide your car, you know? Not that I would ever do that. (laughs) But but as I sat there and I waited for Wesley, I was waiting, but I was hopeful that he was going to land. See, I knew the plane was in the air and I could track it. What, What was I doing there? I was waiting in hopeful expectation that he would show up. That's the biblical understanding that we're getting to when we talk about waiting. What are we doing? Here it is. You are turning hopeless waiting into waiting hopefully. And that takes me to my final seventh action point. Remember I showed you six? We would never end on six. Seven is the biblical number of completion. Seven, it's remember. What is it, church? It's the power of remembering. When I don't get the answer, I won't. Will I change my perspective on who God is, hello, or will I remember who God has been? Mm. When I am waiting, or when the no comes my way like it did that morning, Will I change my perspective of who God is? Or will I remember who God has been in the past? The series ends today with what I would say is probably the most important point of action after amen. It is to remember. It is to remember who God has been in your life. How many of you would say that you have had instances in your life where God has shown up and showed off and he's been faithful? I got a feeling we could pass a microphone around today and we could be here all afternoon testifying to the ways in which our God has been faithful in the past. We get strength And our hope grows when we remember. This is so powerful. Paul lived this out over and over in the New Testament. This is very Pauline if you you learn to cultivate this practice of, of declaring how God has been faithful to you and your family. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 4. This is is just an example. I could give you so many examples of Paul doing this. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was who? See, see, Paul, Paul does this over and over. He's recalling how ancient Israel was coming towards the Red Sea. The Egyptians were coming at them. You remember the story, right? If you don't, let me just tell you about it real quickly. And God has a cloud come in behind ancient Israel so that ancient Israel has light. The Egyptians are in dark, and it is from there that Moses goes and raises his staff, and the Red Sea parts. And so Paul is masterfully remembering how God had been so faithful. Now this is the Corinthian text. The Corinthian church had all kinds of problems. And Paul is saying, listen, let's remember that ours is a God who is faithful. Ours is a God who delivers. Let us remember that the same God who delivered us back then will deliver us today. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Remember the goodness of our God. Last Sunday, I I wasn't here as you know, but last Sunday was not only Father's Day, but it was Juneteenth. And as a country, a lot of people are still kind of learning what Juneteenth is. But this power of remembering is so important to the African American community based upon what they've been through in this country. Juneteenth represents the fact that President Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, and yet it was two years later. How long? Two years later, 1865, before that message got to Galveston, Texas, and the slaves realized They were free. The power of remembering is what has given the African-American community the ability at times to endure. Some of you will recall going on the Martin Luther King Jr. tour with me where we loaded up two big giant buses. And we traveled throughout the southeast. And I preached in his pulpit and his daddy's pulpit. And we studied about this, this story that they've endured the great spirituals that make up the African-American community, we shall overcome, has been grounded in the importance of remembering. This is why the, the stories of deliverance in the Old Testament are so important to this community. Because it helps, does it not? Come on. It helps to know that the same God who delivered them back then will deliver us today. It helps to remember that our God is just that good. So I stopped by today to wrap up this series just to let you know that there's power in remembering. Yes, this was Paul's go-to, but he learned that from God's people in the Old Testament. While they wandered in the wilderness, check it out, church, they had to remind each other that we serve a God who rescued Isaac. He will surely rescue us. While they waited in exile to Babylon, he had to remind them, they had to remind each other that God delivered their forefathers. We must cultivate this art, this craft of recalling our parents and our grandparents and what he's done in the past and that he will do it again. We must remember that this gospel we claim is one of eternal restoration, not momentary pleasure. Let me say that again. This gospel that we claim, this Jesus that we followed, who said, in this world you will have trouble. But what? Take heart, I have overcome the world. This gospel is one of eternal restoration. What? Eternal restoration, not momentary pleasure. We must remember that this leader, Jesus, died on a cross. And therefore, our standard of blessing cannot be a life without pain. Jesus himself went through pain. So what do we do, church? We remember. Everybody say, remember. We make ourselves, we we develop the habit, we cultivate this art and this practice of remembering who God is. Let me ask you a question. Is God sovereign over all of your circumstances? What do you think? Is God mightier than your problems? Does God have all the answers to your questions? And are some of those questions only revealed and answered in heaven? According to the Bible, the answer is yes, 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 and yes. If I had time, I wish I could sit up here and tell you all the ways in which God has been faithful to this church. We could stay here all afternoon. From being homeless when we launched the church at East Chapel Hill High School and needing a place to go, literally telling the principal, if you don't let us worship in the school anymore, we're gonna worship in the parking lot. And finally, in the last moment, an opportunity opened up for us to worship. To years later, knowing that God had called us to be right here in the epicenter of Central North Carolina, right near South Point Mall, and me knocking on every single door up and down Fayetteville Road to get no, after no, after no, after no, until finally I'm standing in a line at the State Fair on a Friday night, about to get on a ride, and I struck up a conversation with a man by the name of Johnny McConnell, and Johnny McConnell moved land all over Central North Carolina, and the next thing I know, in the bottom of the ninth inning, God comes through and here we have this land. Come on, God is faithful. You gotta learn to remember. And in all these situations, and again, I could give you so many more. I've learned that God is faithful. I've learned, listen, 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 to not always look ahead, because that's what a visionary tends to do. I look ahead. I've learned to not always look ahead, but so often I need to look back. And you need to look back. And when you look back, you learn. You remember the same God who delivered you through whatever you've been through. The same God who was good to your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles. The same God who raised you in the church or brought you in the church. The same God any of the blessings you have, the same God who did it then. He will do it again. And you gotta remember. You gotta remember. You gotta remember. So I I wanna just end this series by letting you know that I pray for you. And I know that sounds like such a preacher thing to say. But if you know me, you know it's true. I don't know if it's a blessing or a curse, but God gets me up really early. And I pray for you. And I just felt led at the end of this series to let you know I pray for God's blessings in your life. And so we've decided to sing a song at the end of this series. The song is titled, the blessing, and the team's gonna come out, and they're gonna get ready to sing this song. And the song comes from Numbers chapter 6, 24 through 36. Why don't you you stand up with me? And read this blessing over your families, over yourself, that's okay over this church, and I don't know how much it matters to you, but I pray for you way more than I pray for myself. And I pray that this series will be a game changer for you, and I pray that this song will be a moment for you to step into the blessings and the favor that God has for you. Let's read it out loud. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. I'm fully aware because I live in the same world you do, and I put my pants on the same way you do one leg at a time. I'm fully aware of the fact that it's hard to have peace in this world, especially these days. But it is possible. And I pray for the peace of God in your life. I pray for the blessings of God to fall on you and your loved ones and your home, those who've gathered here and those who are watching online today, I pray that the blessings of God would fall in your life. And the only way that you can experience peace is we start to remember how faithful God has been. Now watch this. But we keep our eye on heaven. We learn to remember how good God has been here and now and in the past, but we look towards heaven. There's a book in the Bible, it's the last book of the Bible, it's called Revelation. A guy by the name of John wrote it. And John would say this, I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more, what church? Death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever and ever and ever. So as life gets more brutal and you encounter some of those no's that I've encountered, you learn to live with one foot firmly planted on planet earth, but one foot looking toward heaven. Because I stopped by to let you know, God may not always take away the pain, but one day soon and very soon, he will take away the tears. He's just that good. Father, we love you today. May you bless your people. May you bless your church. May you give us the discipline and the art of remembering how good you have been. And Father, I pray for these, your people. I'm so honored to be their pastor. I pray your blessings would fall on their lives. Father, I pray that together we would remember how you've been so good to us. God, that we would look towards heaven, knowing that one day you will redeem all things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.